One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Caught Offside with Andrew Gundling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes, caught offside, just outside New York City, and from Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney, bonus podcast. What's up, brother? Bonus podcast. We're going to be doing more of these. This isn't a bonus podcast. This is a thank you podcast. Hmm. Have you ever been number three in America in anything before, ranked by anyone, Andrew? Uh, No, no. Big thank you tonight, as I was alerted to this fact uh, that in the Spotify download charts or their streaming chart, however they do it, I wouldn't even know how to access that. Um, A listener sent us a screenshot um, of a tweet from a famous YouTuber who, um, who I I guess had finished topping his ranking in both sports and entertainment. And at number two is Travis Kelsey. Uh, his football podcast and Jason and then, Kelsey. Come on now. What about it? I haven't listened to it. And then at number three, <laughs> caught offside in all of us sports. And that was taken today, today. So a big thank you to our listeners. That's enormous mobilization of people to get off the, the other um, podcast feed, get onto ours and get with the new program. And it's brilliant. And it's not like we made it particularly easy. We did our best, but it was short noticed. It happened quickly. And they deserve a lot of credit. JJ, I'm utterly speechless. I am without speech. The listeners, our people, you are you are all my heroes. I want to hug all of you. I want to high five all of you. I love all of you. It's uh it was a really nice thing to see. It was it, it was really, amazing. Really nice. It was amazing. And a heads up to Max for alerting us to this uh to this fact because uh, <laughs> It was um, uh, Marky Plyer. He's, fa- he, he's famous. The kids love Marky Plyer. He does the thing on the Twitch with the streaming of the computer games. The kids love him. So he was top in the, in the, in the top podcast alongside Joe Rogan and Tulsi Gabbard. Um, and then top sports podcasts USA. He was top of that. New Heights with Jason and Travis Kelsey. And, Which, uh, by the way, off- is sensational. That is podcast. it? I haven't listened. Uh, it's not because I don't it's think it's amazing. good. I've never heard of it. Well, Jason Kelsey is one of my all-time favorite players in any sport. 
their podcast is incredible. Seeing ours next to them, I don't, I don't even understand how, how this can oh, happen. The, and now, after the waves of joy, why are we waves, here? What well, are we the bringing? Waves to of self-loathing, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't, don't hang on to it. Don't smell the roses. Don't put your face in the sh- sunshine for longer than a second. Because remember, you're scum, mm-hmm. and you're always going to be scum. Mm-hmm. And why should anyone listen to you? I don't deserve nice things. They're unbelievable, unbelievable. Do you need you need a therapist right now to get into that? I really do love our listeners. Oh my They're god, amazing. you guys are unbelievable. This I was not sure when we left ESPN if we would be just shouting into the wind, um, and I just think it's just the coolest thing ever that you guys are are all out there still listening and telling your friends and uh, subscribing, rating, reviewing. It's, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Just thank you. It's, it's so awesome. And please um, don't stop. Subscribe to our new podcast feed. It's the one with both of us in a, in a, in a buddy cop kind of pose. This it's guy, that guy uh, rate us on iTunes, rate us on wherever you can. We're now up on, on Google podcasts as well. We're yeah, still yeah, working. People have been on, asking I, about that. Yeah. We're up on Google podcasts, but you can go and listen. Uh, where where for, do you listen to your podcast, JJ? I, like to me, it's almost surprising sometimes when I hear from people who listen on like other, like I'm, I'm pretty much exclusively an Apple podcast guy. It's just so easy I'm, from that site, but I hear from people who like consume them from all over different outlets. It just, well, what, where do you get them? Well, I get mine from Apple Podcasts. I get mine from Spotify. Um, okay. I listen. I listen and watch some on YouTube. But then I'm I'm hearing about new ones. Podbean. Okay, that was one I hadn't heard of in forever. Apparently, it's there. If you want us on Google Podcasts, you search for "Caught Offside" with Andrew and JJ. So put that bit in. You'll definitely find us. We got to fix Stitcher and iHeart. But people are telling us, you know, uh, we're on uh, Overcast, places like that. Another person asked, "Are we on Castro?" Castro, never heard of it. Is it a left-wing website? Couldn't tell you. Boy, we're learning so much. It's fascinating, are, this world. But please follow us at Seagull Soccer Pod on Twitter, where you can keep abreast of our tangles with technology as we try and build up this little thing we've got. And, um, and yeah, and, and rate us and, so, and, and subscribe wherever you can. It's, it's all good. Tell a friend. Do the whole thing. And now, the football. What a show. What a show. What a show we have coming up for you here. Uh, we'll go through uh, lots of Premier League stuff, lots of midweek action to get to. Uh, so we're going to do a little bit of that. Uh, let's see. You have some news about the uh, the reemergence of the dreaded Super League. I'll it's... be completely honest and upfront with people. I hadn't seen this. So yeah. I'm going to be educated on this the same way all of you are when we get to that. We have a little bit of USMNT stuff to get to before the end of this podcast because the striker position is becoming one of the most confusing mentally conflicting positions in all of sports right now for the u.s we we think it's a position of weakness and yet i everywhere i look i see players who play that position who are american thriving in their (laughs) leagues it's just just something that's not computing here uh so we'll do a little bit of that um so yeah a lot to get to but but uh but we start jj at Old Trafford, where Manchester United take down Tottenham 2-0. Uh, this, sadly for Spurs, 
is becoming kind of a, a familiar performance, especially against fellow Big Six uh, competition. For Manchester United, it was a very encouraging performance. Uh, some fans almost seeing it as almost like a turning point type victory for them with, with how spectacular they were. 19 shots in the first half. Outshot Tottenham, uh, what was it, 28 to to 8, something like that, 10 to 2 mm-hmm. on target. Um, it was a really impressive showing from Manchester United in this game. And uh, for Tottenham, like I said, it's kind of felt a little bit like more of the same. It certainly did, Andrew. Um, let's deal with the United part of it first because the reaction to this. Now, I was flicking through as many of the games as I possibly could, caught a chunk of Liverpool, a chunk of United, and some others sprinkled in. But who cares about my reaction when longtime United supporters on Twitter are saying it's the best performance in 10 years? Um <laughs> That that says a lot. It really does. What a um, comment. Well, I mean, if if you if you stretch it out, it might be true. Um it was very controlled. Um in the midfield, Fred and Casemiro linked together well, as they have done, I suppose, for Brazil. Um, although I mean for Fred now, if you look at the decline of McTominay in just a few weeks and the ascension of Fred, it's been it's been kind of kind of interesting too. Um Bruno took his goal extremely well. United mostly in control, should have scored more than they did. Timing of the second goal was unfortunate after one of Tottenham's few good chances, but United break very well. You know, it was just it was a it was a competent, dominant performance by Manchester United. There's and Spurs weren't anywhere in it, Andrew. They were nowhere. And and Conte more or less said that. Yeah, he really did. Um I mean, look, I'll I'll approach this from the the Tottenham angle first and foremost here. Um yeah, the midfield battle was interesting. You mentioned Casemiro and Fred, Bruno Fernandez. I mean, they really that's kind of where the game was won for Manchester United in this one. They were excellent and Tottenham's midfield didn't really have an answer. Now, you asked the question to me, is this becoming an area of concern for Tottenham? I would say yes and no. Here's why I say that. Um it would be disingenuous of me to sit here and tell you that the midfield for Tottenham is a concern when I've felt that Bentoncourt and Hoybier have been two of their best players so far this season. They're obviously a huge part of Tottenham's midfield. They've been good in both sparking play forward. They've been good getting back and defending. Hoybier scored over the weekend. Um, he's doing that this season. Like So, like, they've been an enormous part of whatever success Tottenham have had so far this season. And by the way, Tottenham have had a good amount of success so far this season before this game, it was their best start ever in the, in nearly six decades. Um, now the problem is if you look at their midfield today, Benton core, Hoybier and Yves Basuma, there's not really, there's not really an attacker among that group. Um, you know, those players are all good, but like if, if you're looking for a dynamic attacking midfielder, there's not really one to be found there. I think that's what's hurting them. Not having that, combine that with the fact that uh, Dayan Kulisevsky is still out with an injury, I think those things hurt them. I think Kane and Son are just too isolated. There's just not enough ease with which they can get into get onto possession and get into a, attacking positions where they can be dangerous, especially can the we- Kulisevsky part. Um, you know, he's hurt now, like I said. Wasn't playing really earlier this season for reasons that, that I said even then that I didn't fully understand. He's an excellent passer. He's very good on the ball. He's so dangerous down the right side. His ability to get Kane and Son involved, it's sorely missed. Uh, So, you know, I I don't know that it's like the midfield for Tottenham. I don't look at as a position of weakness, but not having Kulisevsky and not having a true attacking midfielder, I think 
you can talk about those things and say, yeah, okay, well, I, I can see why maybe some of the scoring chances aren't aren't coming for them right now. Yeah, I, I just want to talk about a graph that I saw, and I'll break it down very simply because, of course, this isn't yet a visual podcast. John Muller of The Athletic retweeted this fascinating graph from late September. It's this season's Tottenham versus every other Premier League team since 11-12 in terms of ability to get the ball into the final third and goals. So basically, up until recently, Tottenham scored two, 2.5 goals on average per game from very few final third touches. Like, they are weird, as John pointed out. And this seems to me to be a weirdness that cannot continue. If you look at the graph, Tottenham are just at the bottom, way out on their own in touches and way out on their own in goals. Right, they, so they look like, like Pluto in a map of the solar system. <laughs> they do. Alone and cold and isolated out there. Yeah, it's, it's, to me, when I saw it, it was jarring. And that means that they, it means a couple of things. It means a lot of goals are coming on, on counters, a lot of goals are are coming from, you know, that kind of swift play, which is we we know is something that Conte is good at. Um, and there's not a heck of a lot of control in the final third. Not a lot of imposing your will on an opposition. Not a lot of touches there. And if that if this if this trends the way you would expect it to, Andrew, this team could start sliding. I mean, they could have gone second I know. tonight if they'd won. I have a thought. It oh, is. Lord. It's kind of reductive. It's uh, lowest common denominator. It, it's you. It's basically you in a thought. Yeah, yeah. I'm a simple. I'm a caveman. I don't have fully developed thoughts. Um, JJ, I'm sorry, but we are like the, you saying the words that you're saying right now. We are just lifting conversations that we had from when a certain Portuguese manager was running the show. Well, th- that's a very good point too. Have Tottenham been a control team since Pochettino? No, 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 no. And I, the only difference between these conversations and, and those when Mourinho was here is that you are being far less rude and condescending to me, which I appreciate. But I think Conte, I think I Conte. Well, first of the all, difference Conte is, is the difference is the team is better now. They have right. better I, players now than they did then. And and I do think they're capable of more nuance under Conte, but those those it kind looks, of raw st- it, it feels the same. No. I, I think it's. I still think it's they're better. They're winning and more. It, and again, like I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to rip them. Remember, I was a I was one of the few Mourinho defenders. Um. So like. Yeah, the, again, off to their best start before today in, in 59 years. So it is it is kind of working. But, like, if you look a little deeper, dominated by Chelsea. Completely dominated. But luckily, I mean, one of the most yeah. lucky, fortunate performances I've seen for them to have gotten a point in that game. Beaten pretty soundly by Arsenal. Beaten even more soundly today by Manchester United. Like. I don't know. Again, their their wins and losses, like it's it's hard to argue too much with it because the results have been fairly good. But to watch them is to kind of think that they should be or or at least could be better than this. They've got a top two striker in the league in Kane. It's him and Holland. Take your pick. They've got the co-golden boot winner from a year ago. They spent a boatload in the summer transfer market and a window that we all pretty much unanimously thought was a, a big success for them. 
They've got a player in Romero, who we think is among the best young center backs in the league. I, I don't know. I just I think it could be better than this, but like, but they are winning, so I guess it's it's hard to argue with. It's just it just doesn't look great. It's not aesthetically pleasing. It's not a ton of fun. And you know, they can't beat they can't beat anyone around them that that's really going to be a challenger for that for those top flight spots. Right, and that's ultimately that's it. Like that's why you have to worry and and with Mourinho too, it's why I eventually came around to your side and said, "Okay, I don't think this is sustainable." Just like you were saying with the Pluto chart here. That like ultimately what this style does is it invites a lot of pressure. And so that can be okay against you know, mid-table, lower-table sides, your Southamptons, Leicester City this season, teams like that that don't really know how to break down Tottenham's defense. So, like, you can you can invite that pressure because teams don't really know what to do with possession against them. But the really good teams do, and they will – the dam will break when it's a team like Chelsea or United or Arsenal or whenever – you know, City eventually. You know, the, the dam will burst. And so – the question is whether or not Tottenham can overcome it by scoring on their own. And right now that's just not a strength for them. Their, their opportunities are too few, few and far between. And then it's asking too much of Kane and son to convert on the few chances that they have. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it, it can, maybe it's good enough to get them into top four champions league, but I don't know if you thought after Manchester city losing, uh, losing to Liverpool over the weekend that, okay, maybe this has brought some other teams back into the title race. To watch Tottenham play like this against good sides and and to believe that it's going to continue as long as they play this style, if you see that, then then you kind of have to think, no, their ceiling is probably Champions League and it's probably not maintaining any kind of title challenge. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Can I go back to United for a second? Of course. Because, because on, on, on a night where they put in that kind of performance where people are saying, you know, what you've heard, it's a turning point. What I've heard, best performance in X amount of years. On that night, it should be all about the players on the field. It should be all about that effort, Ten Hag, what he's done, the turning point. But tomorrow morning, a lot of the papers are going to cover Cristiano Ronaldo, who did something to, to me, I think is, it's about as bad and as disrespectful as it gets. He, mm-hmm. he didn't start the game. He was an unused sub up until the 90th minute when he decided to just walk off down the tunnel, just leave. Um, The video footage was there. I think men in blazers retweeted it as well. I mean, the game's not over. There's added time, stoppage time to come and off he goes. Now he looked absolutely in foul mood every time the camera panned to him, which was a lot. I mean, this, if you ever wonder about this guy's status in the game, just count how many times the camera pans to him on the bench and it's a, it's a good barometer. But off he took, went down the tunnel and now we're going to have, I mean, we had the questions, Ten Hag wouldn't be drawn on it. He said tonight was about the victory. He wasn't going to talk about that. Um, but Which was the right answer. It was the correct answer. Absolutely, you shouldn't. But what an absolute brat. What just, what a, I mean, I remember the arguments I had when he came into the club. One United fan in particular who was trying to tell me, you know, he'd be an influence on the kids. Look at what he did in his first week, encouraging them to eat quinoa instead of going for a second pudding. I mean, there's no amount of quinoa in the world unless he was going for a massive bowl of quinoa. Like, just, I got to get there before the rest of the guys get the quinoa. Off down the tunnel, post-match quinoa. Otherwise, I don't understand. But, but the idea that he was going to be an influence on the youth, 
he's he's a terrible reflection on 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 probably got to be up there, including the Arsenal result with one of Ten Hag's best nights, and also important to bounce back from the draw with Newcastle to show that progress was being made, and off he goes down the tunnel. He's 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 a disgrace. Yeah. Uh, made it about himself on a night that really shouldn't have had anything to do with him. And and I almost feel bad talking about it now because I feel like Manchester United, that's been through a lot of bad nights over the past couple of seasons, their fans kind of deserve better. Like it shouldn't yeah, really they do. It, it shouldn't really be the story. Like you said, they this was one of their best performances, maybe I don't know. I'd have to really go back and think, but I'll just go off of what you said and, and agree for the sake of it, that this might've been one of their best performances in years and a really encouraging moment for a manager that we both believe in uh, for this club, new players who are getting bedded in that look like they're now starting to fit. Varane was really, really good in keeping Kane and son quiet. Casemiro and Fred, that partnership defensively looks really good in the midfield. Um, Anthony looks like he's going to be this exciting threat. Like it, this was it all a lot seemed, of positives. It all fit. Like it all seemed to fit tonight. And it's it's a night where there shouldn't there shouldn't have been any kind of dark cloud. And now there is. I don't know I don't know what happens next, but like he can't he can't continue to be around the team. Like No, he can't. It's and this is not vision. helpful to anyone. It's not helpful to the players who are there, to the manager who's still trying to really put his imprint upon this team. And it's not helpful to Ronaldo. It's a bad look for a legend of the game. Like he, I don't know. There's gotta be some kind of, I don't know the ins and outs of how this is going to have to work financially to make this, to, to have some kind of parting of the ways here. But like these two sides need to get together and understand that it's in everybody's best interest that this ends. And so if Ronaldo, like if he's going to have to seed money in some kind of buyout that frees him up to go elsewhere, then yeah, he's going to have to do that. Cause I don't know why he'll want to put up with more of this. We are one step closer, though, to my crazy prediction from the Predictions podcast at the start of the season that you have only one day to go back and listen to on ESPN before they shut down our feed. Only one day. So get on it. Do it tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, as quick as you can. I predicted Tom Huddleston would assist Ronaldo in a reserve game for Manchester United. Now, if he's punished in the old school fashion that he has to train with the reserves, Maybe he plays with the reserves. Tom, Tom Huddleston came on for Manchester United as a, as a player. Well, what do you 21. mean he'll play with the reserves? He has to in like train. A game, an actual game? Well, well, say he's banished, which I can't see happening. He's too big of a star. But I just want this to happen because I, I thought it'd be funny if it was predicted, uh, if it came to pass. Tom Huddleston assists him. So what you're allowed in the 21s, Andrew, he played for the 21s. Um, or the 23s. Can't remember. But this whatever. isn't going to happen. So you're allowed, you're allowed overage players. Huddleston will be one. He came on the other day. Ronaldo will be the other. It would be amazing. Amazing boon for reserve football. They might outdraw not... the senior team. <laughs> they might, actually. They might. By the way, I actually think that's kind of innovative, what United are doing. I know a number of other clubs, including Liverpool, are doing it. But like bringing these ex-players in as coaches, they get their coaching badges, they coach underage, but they play with the with the younger players, and they're almost like I don't know, guiding hands on the field, like it's almost in game coaching. I think it's cool. I think it's a great idea. Well, I don't know if I'd be holding my breath on the uh, the expectation that Ronaldo will be there playing <laughs> playing with no. the under twenty threes. By the way, uh, Beanie Man Sports, who was great, great follow in terms of like videos and 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 content relating to press conferences, um, he retweeted something from twenty fourteen. 
Uh, May 7th, 2014. Uh, Valladolid won, Real Madrid won. Ronaldo storms down the tunnel just before the whistle goes. Title hopes are all but dead. But I, I do yeah. think there, I do think there was a key... I, I think there was a quinoa pr- promotion that night. Oh, well, that changes everything. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I see this getting better. I don't think uh, they've got to find a way out. They, it should have happened during the summer. They, it's so complicated now. Um, Duncan Castles will have an article about this where he will just. I hope write, he does. He, it's going to be, it's going to be another one. Yet another, another one. How Ronaldo's being mistreated, and he's got to get out of there. Well, United are up to fifth, um, just a point back of Chelsea. Um, what are their expectations now? Like, if you're a United fan and you just watch this and you see where the trajectory is headed, um, you know maybe this is kind of the transition season, sort of like what, you know, I don't know what Arsenal fans will think of last year it ended in such disappointment for them. I think looking back on it now and seeing their success this season, I think you, they can probably now see that last year was sort of like the, the seedlings of, of a potentially really fun um, directional change for that team. And I wonder if that's sort of the moment that United are in right now. United's aim is for, is for top four. Definitely. That's what's in their minds. And anything after that is going to be just a tremendous bonus and a great, great start to Ten Hag's tenure. Absolutely. So props to them. 2-0, dominant performance. Uh, a good night at Old Trafford for uh, the Manchester United faithful, um, except for uh, one quinoa-loving superstar. Uh, let's see, JJ. Let's continue now. Let's go to uh, to Anfield, Liverpool. They get by West Ham, 1-0. Your brother-in-law probably not speaking to you tonight. Called him beforehand, defense. didn't call him afterward. Good idea. I don't subscribe to trash talk. It's it's not what I'm about. I don't want to fall out with him. <laughs> It's not worth it. No. Would he be? Would that? If no, you did, it, if you left a, a voicemail for him, then you're just laughing, and then you hung up the phone. Would that be a, like a real rift? No, no. He just called me a dickhead, and oh. just he would slag me off some other time when he got the opportunity. He'd think it was weird, unless it was like vicious. Like it would need to be a falling out, like of would it need more elements to it than just me leaving a voicemail? I feel. I hope. Yeah, like you'd have to like spray paint, you know, hammer suck on his door. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, not sure. Anyway, um, Darwin Nunez, JJ. So you referred to him on our last podcast as being agricultural. I still don't know exactly what that meant. I don't think you do either. It wasn't positive. It was meant in a pejorative way, I suppose. Yeah. Um, But like... (laughs) I don't know. He's making a real run for being the most kind of mentally conflicting player in the league. Like we, we watch him or certainly you have been watching him and you find him frustrating, but even before this game and he scored in this game, he scored the, what proved to be the winning goal. Sky sports had a graphic that's fascinating. Um, yes. And in the graphic it's, it's among players who have played at least 200 minutes so far this season. Nunez, among all those players, is first in shots per 90, first in touches in the opponent's box per 90, first in non-penalty XG per 90, and second in fast breaks per 90. And so basically, you see that, and what it tells you is that he's a threat pretty much every time he's on the field, um, which is essentially what you want from your striker. Like, think of it this way. There are, so you, you're not wrong in having been frustrated by him, but I feel like there's two different types of strikers that can frustrate you. There's the Lukaku mold of a year ago 
where right. a guy who's just a non-factor, he's on the field and you forget <laughs> that he's there. That can frustrate you. Or you can have what has up to this point been the Nunez model where he's just a part of the action, but his finishing is just not there. And I'll take the second guy over the first guy every day of the week because you have to think, especially with someone who's a, a raw but genuinely skilled player like Nunez, he's going to come good at some point. Whereas the first guy who's just not involved, he probably never will. Uh, so, and you know, eventually the goals will come if you're a good, if you're a legitimately good striker, which Nunez we all believe to be. And sure enough, what has he now scored in three of his last four games? So, yeah, I think I think there was a little bit of a rush to judgment on this player. Yeah, very. I mean, it's very likely. But what I saw tonight was just just frenzied, chaotic energy. He was absolutely everywhere, a mass of like limbs and. And sprinting, he was chasing balls down, hassling people. You know, you—it's not for the want of trying. He was—if—if if he's not going to work out for Liverpool, it won't be to—to to do with anything regarding effort or, or he—you know—he's never going to saunter onto the field like Balotelli. He just won't. He'll sprint on all elbows and knees and ready to go. I mean, at one point he was more than one point, four or five times he was back helping in the left back position. His strikes, by the way, the, so the volley that was tipped over, superb, really great strike. The one that hit the post, excellent. The header was was good, was very good. Um, you know, he was, he's he's just not polished for me yet in, in a way that I guess I got spoiled with, with Mane, with the way Mane would finish with his ease of effort. This looks like a lot for Darwin Nunes. You know, you know the way some players, they just glide around. You're very much aware that he's there and what he's doing. Now, the Anfield rap have a different take than me. And so he said, unreal. Uh, they did their player ratings. Noon is 10. Unreal, a wild footballer, an effing maniac of chaos. <laughs> Neil has just come in after the post-match pint and said he's like the rock. He's a superstar in the making. He is everything. Chaos follows him like an effing hurricane, causing mayhem. The one tipped over the post, tipped over was fantastic. The one against the post, Christ, the goal. A shit Andy Carroll. Okay, lads, that is one of the best headers you will see. Save that. His movement is second to none. He is effing quick. Effing quick. He will Who score. This? this is uh, one of the guys from the Anfield rap. He will score hundreds for Liverpool. Star quality. I just, I, I, um, I, I think he's a menace. I think. He does have certain skills. I actually think when the ball is bouncing, he's better volleying it than he is when the ball's at his feet. He's more comfortable. That would be a concern for me. I mean, he had a shot in the second half. He just blazed it into the stands. I'm, I thought tonight he was, he was great, but I, am, I, remain, um, I remain skeptical, Susan. I mean, you compare him to Mane. Mane's, he's 30. I'm not comparing him to Mane. You just did. Back up. Hang on a second. I compared him in the sense of almost stylistically so different. Like Manny was part of this, this well-oiled machine with Salah and Firmino and Jota. And they're, I guess they're all players of maybe a certain stature and a certain type. Maybe this is aesthetics for me. And in comes this like gigantor, like who's just flying all over the place, sometimes tripping over his own feet. Like he, the boys could be right on the Anfield rap. He could be amazing. He could be pure chaos and score us a ton of goals, but there's a polish or something that I feel is missing. And I, 
like I win I win if I'm wrong. I win if I'm wrong. So I'm hoping I'm wrong. The way we describe him is, is it's like he's a baby giraffe. You just saw like, the fin- you saw the like, chip to finish. You saw yeah, it. I know. I know. But I tonight know. he was he, like I said, he, he he struck the ball cleanly. Um I I whatever weird quirk of his of his build of a size when the ball is bouncing or sitting up, he looks more deadly uh than it does when it's at his feet. I don't know. I I, I hope I'm wrong. I'm happy to be wrong. And I've already uh, I'm already getting abuse from Liverpool fans over it. It's like God, I wasn't the only one who was horrified after after Sunday. Two quick things on Liverpool. Uh, one, Diogo Jota, JJ. Oh, oh man. Yeah, it's um, it's such a blow for him. World Cup, forget about it. Really serious injury. Um, what a disaster. And you know, I I I don't know what it was. It what was causing it? Was it? You know, he just kind of jumped, and and you could see the minute in the slow motion, the minute that that something popped or went, and uh, I feel terrible for him. I really do. Yeah, and yeah, really and, a shame and, for for both for him for Portugal for Liverpool. He's a, he's a really great player. Well, in the Liverpool picture, the options are now, and you saw it tonight, like with Carvalho starting. You know, Carvalho and Elliot are going to have to really, really contribute and be good straight off the bat with until Diaz and Jota are back. Um, we saw a great performance from Elliot at the weekend. We're going to have to see more of that. Um, we cannot afford any more injuries. Just can't do it. It's, it's it's a very tight squad as it is, and James Milner shall get no rest. I'm glad you bring him up. That's the other thing I wanted to mention. So full disclosure, you put the rundown together tonight, and you've suffered one of the all-time cases of amnesia that I've ever seen. You wrote here in the rundown, you, assuming you're talking about me, you made fun of retirement community-bound James Milner, but he saved three points for Liverpool with his tackle on Suchek late on. You want to apologize to him too? I went back and listened, JJ. I, when the I, that was me. What did you say you for? Because I'm writing the rundown for you. You're driving it. <laughs> well, when you say you, I think you're talking to me. Why would you no, be writing I, it like you're pretending to be me? No, I should have put the headline... Uh, admonish JJ fully for two terrible takes on, on players. Um, Milner, I have the full quote here. I, I went back and listened. I said, wait a minute. Who said it wasn't me. It was you. You yeah, said you could was... see Milner getting tired. You could see he's a 37, 38 year old player. Who's been playing since the mid 1840s. Yeah. And all I could I'm think get... of was the advert where you see on local TV and it may be Tom Selleck talking about a retirement home, walking through the leaves and saying, do you have a senior Milner? Do you have worry about their future? Do you want them to enjoy their golden years? That was you, JJ. Yeah, well, he was brilliant tonight. Game-saving challenge, which he deflected from Thomas Suchik with the goal gaping, and Allison did the rest, kind of bundled it past the post. For all the things that happened, for all our talk of Nunes, Liverpool hung on in the second half. West Ham could have got a point. They obviously missed the penalty early on in the first half, which was a big reprieve uh, for Liverpool. And... Klopp made a bunch of substitutions in the second half, got it, changed up his midfield, and it, it didn't work. Liverpool got worse, and and they hung on. And I'll, and and I will gladly take that three points. Uh, Chelsea nil nil with Brentford. Don't have a ton to say about it. Not sure if you do. Uh, no limited P- P- Pulisic. Um, great Kepa saves made a uh, made a couple of good saves from Tony. Um, 
But yeah, not a huge lot, except to say, I suppose, Graham Potter doing well, uh, still undefeated. Yeah, that, that remains. He said of Pulisic that he he needs to be ready to take his chance. It could come essentially at any moment. You don't know. Um, Pulisic, he, that, he, he had a... Well, I mean, it, it means that they're going to have to, you know, they're playing a lot of games, that they're going to have to freshen up the squad. There's going to be rotation, I assume, and Pulisic's going to be part of that. And when he gets his chance, if he if he takes it and if he plays well, um, then presumably it means he'll get other opportunities. Now, we'll see. You know, we've heard that kind of rhetoric before from other managers, and it didn't always bear out to be the case. So yeah, who knows? But I guess it's the right message to send a player. Um, For sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Newcastle one nil over Everton. You know, it's the what we talked about with Everton at the end of last season because this is now back to back games where they've been they've scored one goal in their last three games. They've been shut out in their last two. They're once again right in the neighborhood where they were last season. And we said JJ at the end of last year, amidst like the jubilation of them staying up, that you know once the confetti kind of like got all cleaned up. And the the party subsided, and everybody awoke from their hangovers around Goodison. Then you were kind of left with this, like, oh wait, like we're still pretty bad, though. <laughs> and sure enough, like not much has changed. I think I think the signings of of Tarkovsky and Cody definitely have made them more solid. But now it's like, well, go and score a few goals. I mean, they didn't have a shot on target tonight. Mm-hmm. So it's like. That, not that, not the easy part. That not that it, it was. Those were good signings, and they were done at the right time. They got them over the line. But what about the rest of the team? When is this going to come together? And there was a sense at the start of the season, with with a decent start that they had, that this could be better. But when you saw the reaction of Everton fans tonight, particularly those you know that I saw on Twitter in the comments, and some of them not being just very online fans. Just being match-going fans, worst performance of the season, worst performance since last season, worst performance under Lampard. I mean, that seems... It's just concerning. I, it, it's not... I don't know where they go next. And I, I don't know if he can take them anywhere. And I said after they stayed up that they should have looked for a new manager in the summer. But that was never going to happen. It was the era of good feelings. A lot of people very happy with what Lampard did. There is a good relationship between Lampard and the crowd. There just is. But like, at what point do you ask, when do we start seeing the shape of a, of a more cohesive team? Yeah, I mean, again, their personnel is not, it's not overwhelming. It's not anything that Everton fans will look at and say like this, they might look at it and say that this kind of is what the team is. So as as long as they have players that they don't think are up to it, then they probably that probably provides cover for the manager. And it's true. probably people will take aim more at, at their dealings in the transfer market. But like you're not getting marquee players to come there right now. So you're gonna have to somehow, you know, build from within, develop talent, um, be smart with players that you know you scout the rest of Europe or other parts of the globe. Well, like it's, it's not going to be easy for them. We've talked about that, that at some point they're going to have to get kind of lucky um, with a player who comes through, who just makes an impression. And yeah, I, I would take a little bit of exception with you saying they started the season decently. Well, I don't know. They didn't win a game until September 18th. I know, the but month they and a half like, into the season. Yeah, I know. But 
they felt what's the word solid <laughs> you know they got the they had a yes, they had a the, couple draw leads draw Brentford they, they tied draw. in the derby they beat Everton they beat Southampton um like they they only lost 2-1 to United it felt like they were kind of competitive in that game drew with Leeds uh, yeah you know there wasn't a, there was very few wins in there uh, no it's I understand not good. That, but it did feel better and there was the the feedback you get from from talking to Everton fans was a bit more positive, but I guess that's that fragile positivity has has ebbed away. Uh, let's see, Southampton with a, an important win for them, their first win since August, one nil uh, away at Bournemouth. Um, Ralph Hasenhutel. So I saw this from Joe Prince Wright um, of NBC Sports, also I believe a Southampton supporter. Um, he is, and he, and he tweeted South Southampton fans chant. You don't know what you're doing as Ralph Hasenhutl takes off winger Joe Aribo and brings on center back Lianco with 25 minutes to go at Bournemouth. Then Saints FC fans sing, you're getting sacked in the morning to Hasenhutl. Saints are up 1-0 with a kind of a, a confused face. like <laughs> A team that's been struggling all season, they're finally winning and the fans are still chanting, you're getting sacked in the morning. He's He is right on the edge. He's right there, JJ. And it also made me think of that person on Twitter who came at me after a month into the season to make fun of my prediction that Southampton were going to struggle this year. Yeah, that was a smart thing to do, to <laughs> to, to to ridicule a prediction after a month. Uh huh. Where's that guy now? Can we, uh, in this sense of foreboding that uh, hangs over the podcast uh, as we talk about these managers and looking ahead to tomorrow's fixtures, can we do a little uh, game for a legal reason I need to call factor of fear and not fear factor? Um, so let's look at it. We'll take Hassan Hootel from today. And the, by the way, away support is always the most vocal uh, support. And they'll always have, um, they'll always sometimes have contrary things to say. But um, so we'll take Hassan Hootel. We've got Leicester versus Leeds tomorrow. So we've got mm. Brendan Rodgers and Jesse Marsh. And from Fulham and Aston Villa, we're going to take Steven Gerrard. We're going to leave Marco Silva just because he's in a slightly better position than the aforementioned managers. And we're going to play a factor of fear. So it's not really a game, Andrew. It's just me asking you out of 10, who's got the most to worry, to worry about in terms of their, their livelihood, their job. Ooh, I love this is a great game. Let's start with Steven Gerrard. Give me his factor of fear. Nine. Wow. Yeah, I think so. Nine point right? five, possibly. I mean, even uh, he is—he's commenting on his job security. Like that's not—he never stops. <laughs> he keeps on about it. Well, he's asked time. about it constantly. I know, but it, he feels as if you know he, he talks about everybody and the things in the media, and all. like just don't mention it. Just keep well, going. I mean, I thought his comments were were fair enough. He said he has he has essentially the utmost faith in himself to to get it done. Villa fans do not. They do not. No. No. Um, Let's go, uh, Jesse Marsh. Factor of fear I, is I, is that a thing? I don't know. Five. I don't. I don't view him as a manager in trouble. I know that they're you know they're not in the table necessarily where they want to be right now. But right, uh, they've also played fewer games than literally everyone in the league. So. No win in the la- no win in the last five. Uh, yeah, that's true. They have played less games. Um, two wins in total. Uh, a minus two goal differential. I'm just saying, like, if, I don't it, view him as a as a manager on the hot seat. Okay, so his factor of fear is no, I don't see it. All right, and uh, uh, Brendan Rodgers, eight, seven and a half. 
It's got to be. It's got to be as high, if not higher, than than Steven Gerrard's. Oh, you think? Are equal to? Yeah, they're bottom. Yeah, they really are. I mean, like literally, they're bottom of the table. And they're below. They're below Nottingham Forest. Ooh, ooh. it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, I, but, I, I, but he recently signed a contract, right? So they'd have. I mean, you have to factor in like what are they willing to pay him out if they fire him. Yeah, but what are the the hit the hit they'll take if they get relegated? Is there a way they stay up? I mean, there is a way this. I'm. They yeah, should of course be there is. There's a, there's an avenue to them staying up, absolutely. But yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he's closer to Gerard than I'm giving him credit. Um, and then and the last factor, one, and that was well, factor you, of fear. We're you're never not going to include you. You won't include Hasenhutl because they played today. I think he he should be in this game even with oh, his win. Sorry, the fans are still chanting for him to be fired. Sorry, I just thought the game was running out of steam. I apologize. Hasenhutl um, uh, nine also. He's right there. I, it could one more loss could push him over the edge, depending on how ugly it is. He's <laughs> right on man, the edge. How does a manager like him, like who has, has done significant things um, in terms of style of play, but has conceded nine goals on two separate occasions. Like, how do you keep your job? He's been living on the edge for a while. He's like Aerosmith. One of their underrated songs. Uh, Villa, JJ, seven goals through 10 games. One of the worst XGs in the league. Very poor non-penalty XG per 90. That like The, the statistics are not they're not helping. If you're like, going to be there's crap. Not, there's not much Gerard can point to. <laughs> if you're going to be so, crap, at least be entertaining. you got to be yeah. entertaining. That's, uh, that's let's, pretty much like us. If you're going to be crap, be entertaining. Yeah, yeah that, you know what? That should probably be our in our bio somewhere. Number um, three in America. Yes, Crap, and it's all down to you guys. Let's see. So I'm going to need your help with this next story here that you put on the rundown. Yes. You have titled it, It's Back. I assume that's the tone yeah. in which the words are written. <laughs> and and you have gone in your, and you're telling me here that the Super League has been revived. And yeah. I'm horrified but, by that thought. Uh, and so but, I need I need to be educated. Well, revive is incorrect. It never went away, technically. So the corpse of this like thing... Like a dormant was, volcano. Yeah, or like a Frankenstein's monster that you've kept the electricity on at a, at a low level. And every now and again, you give it a prod to make sure that it's still kind of the limbs are twitching. Um, so basically, Juventus, Real Madrid, and Barcelona have ne- never let this thing go. Haven't let it go. And they've hired a company to basically look into kind of what could be described as a a reintroduction of the Super League. Um, but it's going to have things like consultation, fan consultation, um, you know, a more collaborative approach rather than dropping the worst website in the history of websites and telling everyone we're doing a Super League. With no P, with no accompanying PR campaign, nothing whatsoever except a, a kind of a, a weirdly purple website that is still up there, if you want to visit it, um, and then just do apologies seventy two hours later, <laughs> just like the worst launch ever. This one is going to be more of a, it seems like a progressive launch, and so here's the details uh, from Sky Sports: a new Europe, European Super League with no permanent membership could be up and running by the 24-25 season, which, by the way, I think is the launch of the new 
Swiss model of the Champions League with the different group system, which we, we hate also. The chief executive of the company behind the failed project has revealed Bernd Reichart has been hired by A22 Sports Management, which was formed to sponsor and assist in the creation of the proposed 12-team breakaway league in April last year. The German media executive also believes the Premier League's club-run model is a good example for the European Super League, now expanded to 20 teams to follow. Asked if the 24-25 season was the earliest the failed project could start up again, Reichardt told the PA News, uh, the PA News Agency, that might be the first reasonable and realistic call, but there are so many variables that I can't actually foresee. That is probably the first realistic call. So this is kind of, this has never really gone away. We know Agnelli has held on to it. We know that Florentino Perez never stops talking about it. And this is just them coming at it from, from a different angle and letting people know in advance that they will be communicating with people and talking about it and talking to clubs, talking to leagues and talking to UEFA. Yeah. So I guess my initial gut reaction to this is that just with the, the financial might and the global reach and power of the Premier League right now, that combined with just the visceral reaction that the fan base has had of the clubs involved to the last go around of this and sort of just the, like the curse word that is super league right now in the minds of premier league fans. I don't, I don't see a world where premier league clubs are willing to, to go out on a limb and take part in this. And if that's the case, if there's going to be a super league without premier league clubs, then it won't succeed. Um, So yeah, it's hard. I, I can't, it's hard for me to take it seriously right now because I just, in my head, I might be naive. I might not have a full grasp of the money involved here, but I know the money involved in being a premier league side right now. Um, so I just don't see it, but I could very well be proven wrong, but I don't see those clubs taking part. And if they're not there, then I don't, I don't know. I just don't see this being a thing that will thrive or, or frighten us in the way that the other version did. Well, don't forget that, um, I mean, the Premier League now is a selection of, at the very high end of, of the money stakes in the Premier League, you've got the state-owned, country, uh, country-owned clubs, and then you've got wealthy investment funds from America and American billionaires. And if we know anything about, certainly the American billionaires, they will be ready to listen and to talk about a deal that makes them more money. Do you think John Henry will after what happened last time? If if we've learned one thing from FSG, they do continue to try things and um, they will definitely want to be part of any conversation. Now, I think you might be right. The appetite for it might be there. And also with the, the new, the new champions league system, which we believe the bigger clubs push for anyway, why wouldn't they just stick with what they asked for from the first place in the first place? I, I don't know, but this is what happened today. This is what we know from uh, Mr. Reichardt's conversations today uh, with the news media. And I think he did a piece in the, uh, an interview in the Financial Times as well. Call me naive, but I'm not scared right now the way I was um, the last time this happened. Yes. But we'll see. Only time will tell. Um, JJ, I know you want to talk a little bit about the uh, – we didn't get a chance the other day on our podcast that one talking about the Man City-Liverpool match, but I know you want to talk a little bit about some of the, the extracurriculars around that. Yeah, and unfortunately, most of the talk, or a lot of the talk, has 
I mean, everyone acknowledged it was a brilliant game, but a lot of the talk has been the 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 chance that Manchester City supporters sang um, about Hillsborough and Heisel, the graffiti that was left in the tunnel at Anfield, uh, the accusation that uh, crept out from Manchester City from a press briefing that uh, Klopp started it um, on Friday when he talked about he spoke about state-owned countries and that this was in some way xenophobic. Then we've heard that Jurgen Klopp was is considering legal action uh, for that briefing um, that Manchester City gave, and just an increasingly toxic kind of situation. And, and I suppose the first the first thing is that to deal with the, the Klopp xenophobia thing, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. You can accuse Jurgen Klopp of many things, and you can want to have a debate about state run. Uh, clubs and what that means for football and fairness in football and financial fairness in football and all those things. But mentioning the fact that City are owned by the United Arab Emirates, or he didn't even say that. He said that they're state-owned and that they can't be competed with. And there's only three clubs of this of this nature. is is not incorrect. It is correct. That is the case. Now, if you want to say, well, who who cares when you hear the Liverpool manager, one of the richest clubs in the world and the wages they pay out talking about this, you know, that's fine. That's something I'll engage upon because yeah. that's okay. But to accuse him of xenophobia is is ridiculous. And to suggest that him talking in this way was any justification or any reason for those horrible chants on Sunday is a disgrace. And Manchester City are a disgrace for acting in, in, in that manner. I, it, it truly is apparent and wrong but but what I, what struck me was I think it must be three or four years ago we did a podcast and I mentioned the state-owned clubs and and city were a petrol fueled club and I said that and next thing I get a DM or I think I was tweeted initially by a southern here in the United States a southern supporters club I won't say where because I don't want to drag, there's no need to drag anybody through it. So whoever was the, the administrator for this Southern Manchester City Supporters Club called me a xenophobic and racist. Then got in, I got, I think I got in his uh, direct uh, messages and I told him, take that down. That's not true and it's not fair. And eventually he relented. But I thought like, what, what a strange accusation to try and stifle debate about that club. That's exactly what City are doing here. And it's exactly what Khaldun El Mubarak did at the end of the 18-19 season when he was talking to uh, Manchester City TV. And again, the question about the way City run things and an ongoing investigation into their finances arising from the Der Spiegel uh, revelations. And, he, and, and out of nowhere, uh, it was, um, I think it was Javier Tebas of La Liga had said, about City being state-owned and how it was, a, it was so hard for the legal to compete with, with a club like that. And again, Khaldun El Mubarak uses the racism and xenophobia angle. That's not acceptable. It's not okay. The debate about Manchester City and Newcastle United and PSG will continue. You can throw all the mud you want. It's going to continue. And I've seen it. I, you know, it's so, it's so disappointing for Manchester City fans then to react the way they did on Sunday because a question was asked about their club and the, not even about their club, about their club ownership to react in that manner 
by going after Liverpool supporters, as was pointed out, many of whom in the stands have lost people, many of whom are part of the 97. And then to throw Heisel into the mix as well. Just, it's just so wrong. It's a disgrace. And, and this is from a fan base that I believe, I think it was 2014, where they held a banner on the anniversary of Hillsborough. Manchester City fans, visiting fans, justice for the 96, as it was at the time. Mm-hmm. You can't lose fan solidarity over your club owners. I, I don't understand the mentality where you have to absolutely defend your club owners to the hilt. And I know City are in a difficult position in many ways. The regular City supporter, they didn't ask to be bought out. They are. And they've had some of the best times in the past 10 years because they were bought out. But yeah. it, doesn't cha- it doesn't change who you're owned by. Yeah, that's that's the part of it. Like, for Man City, I kind of look at it as like, you can't have it both ways, you know? You kind of sign this deal where, okay, like your new ownership is such that it guarantees you some of the greatest moments that you'll experience as a soccer fan. Like you are yeah. guaranteed of that now. But like there's a price to pay for that. A lot of people are not going to like your club. Like you kind of – you can't – I feel like they want to be – beloved and and kind of maintain this underdog feel that they had from before this buy before they were bought by the saudis um no yeah yeah that's right um but like no that's not it doesn't work that way like you can have all these great times and and hold up all these trophies but like there are going to be people who look at the way that your club is owned and and not be okay with it uh so yeah i just i think they have to be a little bit understanding of that yeah and just for online fans like the non sequitur attacks. So like if I make a comment about the ownership of Newcastle United and someone comes back to me, what about your fans? What did your fans do at Heisel? Like how has that got anything to do with anything else? But that is the way the back and forth has festered online and is now seeping into the stands. And it's Mm -hmm. terrible. And I know all city supporters don't feel like that. Like there's plenty of, there's plenty of our listeners who are city supporters and they've never engaged in that kind of stuff. But it was so so disappointing yeah. to see it at the weekend from from City's traveling support. I mean, the songs were audible; you could hear them, and then the graffiti uh, down the tunnel. It's just, I don't know. Yeah, it makes you feel. Um, it makes you feel. It turns you off, really. It turns you off. Yeah. Football. Now, somewhat unrelated, but also somewhat related. There was ugliness on both sides uh, over the weekend. The police are investigating damage to Manchester City's team bus. Um, you can see there's clear pictures of glass being. I guess cracked, shattered, whatever you want to call it. Obviously objects were being hurled at the bus that caused damage. And there was um, objects so, hurled at Pep Guardiola on the sideline. Yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't happen. No, it, that rivalry just... has, that, I mean, after kind of, you know, being the preeminent rivalry for a number of years, it seems like it's now kind of taken an uglier form. Like, you know, only a couple of weeks ago, JJ, we were joking about all the the glad handing and back padding between these two teams. And all of a sudden over, over the course of one week, I feel like all of that has kind of changed and you're not really, you're not, you're not seeing much of that anymore. Well, both clubs have a responsibility to take the venom out of it right now and to educate their fans on exactly what happened at Heisel, exactly what happened at Hillsborough and why it could have happened to any fan base at that time. Yep. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's wind it down now. A couple final things to get to before we say goodnight for the evening. Uh, JJ, I saw a lot of this as soon as it happened. The uh, Who was it? Uh, Alan Velasco, his... 
his Panenka to end a penalty shootout in an MLS playoff game. Look, I, I don't know. How, people have right Stunning. away they come, they come to my Twitter account and they they want to know my thoughts on it. You all know, especially these would be my thoughts if it was a friendly. How do you think I feel about the winning attempt in a in a playoff uh, matchup? Outrage. Like, I know he converted it and it looked awesome, and I'm sure you know if you're you know fans will get it printed on shirts like it's going to be something that'll go down in their minds for the for the positive but like boy the keeper almost got a hand on the on it while he's sitting on his ass on the ground that's the point that is the whole point that's the that's what i wanted to say like the keeper is flailing on his back like a beetle he got he got a hand so close to that thing. Yeah, it didn't even go down the center or to the left hand side. He didn't even send the keeper the wrong way. The keeper nearly got it. What are you doing now? It it takes. Is it stupidity or massive cojones? I don't know which one. But I'm uh, with you. I, I guess don't. Do I mean, it. people will people will dictate the answer to that by the result, which I don't think is right. To me, it's that, stupidity. Yeah. No matter what the result is. What happened I, I on t- my team? Yeah. Oh, I mean, would he even play the next game? No, gone. Gone. See ya. Take your own flight. Yeah. Uh, Find your own way home. Um, But they won. Like, I don't want, I feel bad. Like, FC Dallas fans are like, hey, wait a minute. Like, stop being so negative. We won. No, it's a great win. It's a huge win for them over a team, over a team that's, that's had been a playoff regular over the last few seasons. Yeah. Um, Thursday night. What a slate. Jeez. Thursday. Thursday night's going to be incredibly fun. I can't call Philadelphia and Cincinnati. Would it shock me if Cincinnati up- upset the, the apple cart here and beat Philadelphia? Wouldn't shock me. I'd be really surprised. Oh, I, I wouldn't. Not at this point. Just not at this point. We, we almost saw a team that was as good as... I know I know Philadelphia are a very good side, but like, look at Austin. Austin scraped through. Playoffs, I mean, man. Playoffs. No, yeah, I understand, but like one game. No, I don't I, think you do. And, and I, oh, I do. Of course, I do. <laughs> oh, um, really? I know. <laughs> all right, enough. <laughs> Philadelphia. I know they had that little wobble against Charlotte when they they had done to them what they've done to so many others, losing four 0 But they came right back and they they destroyed Toronto FC four 0 I mean, just like looking at some of the Union results from the last like couple months of the season, it's like, I mean, it looks like a senior team taking on a middle school team. Like it's. You can't believe what you're seeing with with some of what they did this season. Now, when they yeah. they did play FC Cincinnati back in early August, and Cincinnati won that three one, um, and then they drew their other meeting against each other back in June one one. So FC Cincinnati have done well against the Union. So from that respect, sure, I, I'm sure there will be people within the setup at Philadelphia who will have their antennas up and might be a little bit more concerned than normal. But I don't know. I think. I think really highly of this union team. It would just, it would just really surprise me with the season that they've had and the form that generally speaking, they've been in. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, 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 if going I'm making predictions. For, I'm saying they're going through. I'm going for the upset in that one. Okay. Uh, and then that's at eight o'clock on Thursday. And then the, the nightcap at 10 o'clock, a postseason El Trafico. What else could you, could you ask for? That's great. I mean, 10 o'clock. Ugh. But still, worth it. It's worth it to be tired in the morning. Worth it. I mean, I'm usually up till midnight. Like that's that's not a big deal for me. Oh, I can't do it anymore. Oh, really? Can't. I know I can do it, but I do feel it. Starting to feel it. If there's something great on, if there's a great film, great documentary, though, I make no excuses. It's well worth staying up for. 
Well, I hope you're up because I'll be texting you about it. Um, okay. It's, I mean, obviously whatever happens, like it's a playoff matchup between these two rivals. So, you know, you're about to witness probably the new greatest moments in the history of this rivalry up to this point. What would you say it is? I mean, I just, I keep thinking about that Zlatan game, his introduction into it and just that performance. That's kind of I know, like my banner moment in this rivalry. I, what, but the five three in twenty nineteen that was yeah. and that was in a playoff that was that was pretty special. I remember that one. That was a nighttime game, great atmosphere, and I think I think Zlatan bullied uh, LAFC that night, if I remember correctly. He, he certainly bullied the center halves. Yeah, this one this one's a little tough to call for me as well. I I lean LAFC with the season they just had, but the Galaxy coming I, off a a good win where they you know Puig looks good, Chicharito looks good. Um, I'll say LAFC, but not not with the same level of confidence that I say the Union over Cincinnati. Yeah, that was October twenty fifth, twenty nineteen. LAFC knockouts Latans LA, LA Galaxy. Yeah, that was memorable. It was. I think I think Zlatan had a brilliant game, but and also he I think he'd owned them in the regular season that season too. Um, so for 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 LAFC to get to get over that hump was was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, let's see. Winding it down, JJ, you uh, you mentioned striker watch on caught offside. Stu yeah, Holden we need tweeting. to get our sounds. We need our sounds, man. All right. Bye. Relax. Relax. We'll get there. Um, Stu Holden tweeting earlier today, Ricardo Pepe is taking advantage of his opportunity in Holland. This is his fifth goal in six matches. Hadn't scored for over a year in the Bundesliga, but seems to be finding form at a different level. Yeah, it was against a, a second division side in the Dutch uh, in the Dutch Cup, but um, but yeah, just just it, is there an alternate universe where we're as American fans not viewing this position as a position of weakness? Like with between Pepe doing that, Pfock right now is tenth of all players in the Bundesliga in goals plus assists per ninety. Josh Sargent has eight goals in fifteen games. He's tied atop the championship for most goals. Yeah. I just feel like like. You look at some of those things and like if some guy just got here from Mars, would he look at our team and say, wait, you guys aren't, you're not as bad at that position as you would think you are. Right. But consider that one of those strikers who's playing in the highest division, if you were to rank the divisions of the three mentioned, is probably not going to go. I mean, well, that's the thing. The, the same guy from Mars would say, wait a minute, Ferreira's your starter? I, I don't know. And the worst thing about this is we don't have any friendly. We don't have any little game left. Oh. Go on, throw him in, put him in. Let's have a look. We've we've gone through those. That's it. We're just in this kind of limbo. Is this is going to be the we longest? Know until we know, it's going to be the longest month ever. So long. Can't wait though. I, the, I'm, I, I even love the build up. I yeah, all... but I mean, you see Jesus Ferreira with a, just a terrible miss. I know in, in that it's, aforementioned game. I can't do much more of this. I want to see a team. I want to see them on the field in, in competitive action. If we're going to have a World Cup in the winter, give it to me now. <laughs> um, more positives, though. Staying with the positive. A lot of buzz today about Gio Reyna in the DFB Poco. Came off the bench. 22 minutes of action, but they were pretty brilliant 22 minutes. He just, uh, I don't know, just if he's healthy, We've gone over, we've like you and I, we've poured over what our starting 11s would be. And sometimes the the permutations of it and how we're going to fit this guy in. 
I don't know how you leave him out. Like I know somebody's going to get left out of that starting 11 and, and there's going to be room for criticism for it. But if, like, if you just go flat out, like the, ta- the pure talent of a player, like he's, I don't know how he's not, I guess it comes down to fitness. If they're not yeah. sure whether or not he can give you 90 minutes over the course of you know the, the three group stage games. So they're going to have to probably rotate the squad because of that. But I mean, if he's fully fit, I just, the more I watch him play, the more I think he's, how's he not in there? He, might, what be, about, he might be one of the, he might be literally the best player on the team if he's fully but, fit. But what, what I, I, I would agree. But what about if you hit whatever opposition you have for 68, 70 minutes, like Dortmund are doing with what you've got, the athleticism, maybe a little bit more skill and pace and power. And then you bring in this, this, this baller, this creative force that is Reina for the last, 30 minutes when you probably might need him, might need to get back in it, might need to get the go-ahead goal, something like that. You're right, but I could say similar things about Aronson. You know, like... That energy laid on could kill teams. Yeah, you get to 70 minutes, and then all of a sudden this just, like, burst, this explosion of energy comes onto the field. So you could do that with a lot of these guys. It's I don't know. I don't. It's hard for me to say what the right answer is, but if I'm making a lineup right now uh, and he's fully fit, he's he's in my 11. He He just has to be. I view him on that kind of level. Um, finally, JJ, you had a tweet here, which I don't fully understand. You want to read this from yeah, uh, Tarek Panja, our Tarek Panja, our friend from the. We've oh. had him on it several times, and he's just great. Um, so he tweets this this morning. Crikey, ex-Brazil president Lula da Silva is alleging that footballer Neymar has has done a deal with right-wing incumbent Jair Bolsonaro to support him in ele- in the election in return for writing off. Neymar's tax debt. Lola Bolsonaro's runoff takes place at the end of the month. So the runoff in the in the Brazilian presidential elections. Neymar and his family are currently named as accused in a fraud case being heard in Barcelona. They maintain their innocence. The, uh, Tarek says, peculiar situation with the World Cup in mind. Should Lula, who won first round, defeat Bolsonaro in the election runoff, Brazil will have a president who has branded Brazil's top footballer a shill for his opponent a few weeks before Brazil stops for the World Cup. So a lot of this Sports is... are never more fun than when they're fully entrenched with politics. Yeah, and you see Neymar doing videos for Bolsonaro and you're like, what's going on there? Then you realize that this this transfer that he was involved in to Barcelona, that, that still is still under, or has been under investigation and there's suggestions of impropriety on Neymar's part. And it's just... It's a it's a royal mess that Brazil don't need right now, considering how they roared through qualifying, how brilliant they were, how we think Chiche has this thing cracked, and maybe they're in line for a real tilt at the World Cup. You just don't need this, and this is going to rumble. Honestly, on. I don't think it matters. You know, he's he's going to play. I don't see it affecting him. If he plays well, the fans will love him and it won't be a thing and it will all be forgotten. That's that's my two cents. Yeah, good for you to just take the sting out of the end of the pod there, Andrew. All right. Good. Well, what's this other tweet? This is the one I was talking about from Jonathan Yefet uh, at CO Soccer Pod. Andrew didn't give a time frame for when he fouled out of the basketball game. That happened last week. No. Oh, yeah. Pe- people enjoyed your... Uh... Your, your stories from your youth sports. And uh, I was, a, was asking, if he's asking when that occurred, I, w- I was when I was a freshman in high school. Okay. I don't know if that changes the way people viewed that story, but 
no, I was a freshman in high school. I was but a boy, JJ. But you did play in a in a basketball league up until about five years ago, I would say. A little more than that, yeah. Uh, eight yeah. years, seven or eight years ago. Yeah. And you used to come Queens. in, and it was great because I'd swap my stories of 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 league soccer with you, and you tell me about your basketball games, which got feisty. And there was one guy that you you'd always tell me about a guy you hated that you played against. Yeah, that was always a thing for me. Sports are supposed to be kind of like this unifying force. But like my whole, even when I, in college, when we'd go to the gym and play, like we'd always like leave hating everyone, whoever we played against, hated all of them. What a tool that guy was. Oh, that guy was such a whiny little baby. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I love sports, but like, it's not where I go to make friends, I guess. No, but sometimes so. hate can be a, a sports hit when you're leaving. Like, and obviously not, I'm not- competitive. Yeah, but that competitiveness can be a bonding thing amongst your teammates. There's That's nothing true. like it. Nothing like it when you win either. Nothing like it. Uh, the, the sweet scent of victory. Yeah. Dip Mars United. That was my team. Um, Dip Mars United. Queens. Yeah. Ah. There you go. Um, that's about it on this podcast. Yeah, for the number three podcast in America right now, as we sit here, right behind one of my heroes, Jason Kelsey on a podcast that I adore and, and then us, it, I have no words. Like I said, I have no words. Yeah. Um, having, having no words though, we just gave you about an hour and some minutes of words. So I guess I have more than I thought. Uh, but again, thank you to everybody out there who has continued to listen, who has continued to tell friends and family members to also listen, to subscribe. Those of you who have rated us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you can rate podcasts, it's a huge help and a huge boost to the visibility of the podcast. Um, you should all know, JJ and I, we continue to talk, and there are any number of potential increases and boosts to the content that we're hoping to roll out for all of you. I mean, you're kind of listening to some of it right now. We're trying to give you more podcasts than what we were doing previously. Um, so hang with us, man. And we will, uh, we hope to reward your, your loyalty. And, and I'm, working you I'm working yeah, on merch. I'm working on merch. Yeah. You've been working hard on that. I can't wait to see some of these, uh, some of these mock-ups. I mean, you, you are in no way qualified to be designing t-shirts and, and clothing, but here we are. I'm going to bring ideas to the actual branding and design people, Andrew. I'm not going to draw them myself. Okay. What do you a couple of like stick figures, uh, stick figures wearing yeah. a scarf of some sort. Yeah, and I'd make your ears enormous just to belittle I you. I have normal size ears. Well, what is that? No, but I'd make them big. Bigger <laughs> than mine. Why? Oh yeah, is that a thing for you? Your ears what? are you are you sensitive about your ear size or something? No, it's my uh kind of big nose that really oh. really does it. That's that was big but it was huge and then it was broken, which made it even more grotesque. So, mm. Oh boy. And uh, I, I want something that encapsulates your weird body syndrome as well. That, that kind yeah, of yeah. That's important. We got to highlight that, please. <laughs> well, Hey, this was fun. My friend to you, I say, check you later fun boy. I'll see you, man. Take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.